This morning as I came into the building early to bring in some chairs and some flyers that Dave and Thelma had printed for us, I went by a Circle K truck. And it was one of the big fuel trucks. And it had two pictures of their big styrofoam soda cups with that moisture on the outside that makes you want one. And it said, follow me if you're thirsty. And I thought about that. And I thought about, you know what? Anyone who is spiritually thirsty, Jesus says that this morning as we look at the crucified and risen Lord. Follow me if you're thirsty. What did He say to the woman at the well? John 4, 13 and 14, He said to her, Everyone who drinks of this earthly water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you're spiritually thirsty this morning, my invitation is to follow Jesus. I don't know how you spent your Good Friday. Uh, we spent part of ours on the, the back porch with my wife and our three boys and a neighbor boy who comes to church with us. And we read through the end of Mark together. Everybody took a little section except for Luke. He's four. Read that... <laughs> You know, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. And then I told him about one of my all-time favorite comics. And I wonder if any of you remember this one. It was a BC comic, which that alone, it was one of the all-time greats, right? But, but there was one in particular. There were two cavemen talking. And, and I'm going to paraphrase. One of the cavemen said to the other one, I, I hate the name Good Friday for this day. And the other caveman says, why do you hate it? And he says, I hate it because that's the day they crucified my Lord and Savior. The other guy says, well, what if it was you that deserved to hang on that cross and Jesus said, I will take your place. How would that make you feel? He said, good. And the first guy said, have a nice day and walked away. <laughs> that is why they call it Good Friday. Jesus is the Lamb of God the sacrificial Lamb of God who died on that cross to take away the sin of the world. And all who come to Him in faith and repentance find forgiveness of sins. That's why it's called Good Friday. But I thought it would not be Good Friday if the women had shown, shown up at that tomb on Sunday morning and found His body still in that tomb. That would have been a tragedy a tragedy. You remember the disciples ran to a locked room and hid. And if that had been the case, they would have been justified in staying there because if He was still in that tomb, all of their hopes about who Jesus was would be dashed. That would have been a tragedy if He had remained in that tomb. Thank God for Mark 16.3. The women were saying to one another, who will roll away this stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It's big, it's heavy. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He is not here. It was far from a tragedy. It was a great victory. But I thought about what would be another tragedy. What if we 
believe that up here to be true, but we can find that truth to one Sunday a year in March or April where we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What if we confined that truth to this building and then we walked out of here living as though we had totally forgotten that we have a risen Lord and Savior? That would be another tragedy in my mind. I want to talk about even the, the things we call Jesus and, and what they tell us about how we should live in light of a risen Lord. We talk about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go through each of those words. What do they mean for believers in Jesus? Right? Risen. What's that mean? It means we don't have a, a dead faith that is only words on a page thousands of years old. It means this is a living Word of God that tells us about Jesus, our living hope who is alive and well in believers today. He is with us. That's why He said to the disciples at the Great Commission, I will be with you until the end of the age. We are not alone. We are not alone. Lord, that's kind of a religious word these days. It uh, gives us goosebumps and ooey-gooey feelings. But in, in this day, Lord was used in all kinds of contexts. And you know what it meant? Master. He is in charge. So why would we talk about the risen Lord Jesus Christ and then walk out of here and pursue our own desires, leaving His pushing His desires for our life to the side. Jesus. One of my favorite names for Him. You know what that name means? It means He's human. Jesus was a human name. There were many Jesuses at His time, likely. It's like Rick or Joe down the street. He had to be human to die for your sins and mine, to be that Lamb of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. So let me ask you this. Why do we say that and then walk out of here as believers in Jesus Christ wallowing in self-imposed condemnation day after day after day? Why do we do that if we believe He took away our sin? Listen, they tried to cancel Jesus, the religious leaders. Peter talked about that in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, 22. He looked at the leaders of Israel and said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But I love verse 24. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. They tried to cancel Jesus. They were unwittingly doing God's will all along. And God raised him from the dead. They, they could not cancel our Savior and Lord. But you know what? Something was canceled at that cross. Paul, Paul tells us about it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. For all who believe... You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. 
That list of sins running through your mind right now from your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, has been canceled. Your debt has been paid. That's what Jesus means. What about Christ? You know what that means? It means Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. Who was anointed in the Old Testament? Two groups in particular. Priests and kings. Christ the Messiah is our chosen priest. He intercedes to the Father on your behalf and mine. He, he sees what's going on in your life and intercedes for you. He's also king. That means He is in control. So why would we walk out of here and, and live in a way that, that indicates that we don't believe He sees or knows or, or cares or, or that He's not in control? He is. Risen Lord Jesus Christ. How's about if all of us walked out of here today and lived as though that's true? Because it is. It's not something to stay in here one time a year. One verse really gets me. In Romans 5.17, I want you to listen to this, what Paul says. He says, If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Who, who is that one man? Adam, yeah, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin has infiltrated the whole human race. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something. He did not just say, we live through the one man, Jesus Christ. What did he say? Did anybody hear it? He said we reign in life through Jesus Christ. There is victory to be had in the life of the believer through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And you say, what kind of victory? I want to talk about that. Victory over sin and the kingdom of darkness. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Whatever temptation hits you day after day, moment after moment, even as you sit here in this church building, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, stop believing the lie from the enemy that you must give in to that temptation. You are dead to sin. Paul wrote this and he knew what that was all about. He, you remember what his life was before Christ. He was hunting Christians, throwing them in prison, approving of their deaths. Then he met the risen Lord. And everything changed. He, he turned away from that sin. What sin as a believer today do you need to grab onto this truth and say, I am dead to you? In Christ. No more. I will not leave this room today living in that sin any longer because in Christ I'm victorious. But it's more than that. It's also the ability to live righteously in the abundant life that Christ has for you. He has a calling on the life of every believer to change this world for His kingdom. And in Christ, the risen Lord, we have that ability that's why Romans 6.11 says, you must also consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Too many of us believe that the Christian life is only a list of don'ts. How about the do's? How about the full life that Jesus wants each of His believers to live in? When He talks about offering members, what's it talking about? Saying, God, I give you my mouth today, my tongue. Help me to use it for Your glory. I give you my hands, my feet, my all. Use it for Your kingdom. Do you believe God wants to use you? See, that's the thing about Paul. If you know anything about the life of Paul, you read Acts or his epistles. Did he only stop persecuting Christians and go, go become a hermit somewhere and just spend the rest of his days twiddling his thumbs? No. He went out as a missionary for Jesus. It wasn't just stopping the former life. It was embracing God's call. Victory over sin, ability to live righteously, and listen, confidence in the face of trials. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are going through a trial right now? You think about the victory of Jesus Christ and you say, well, how's that work? Because I'm going through this or that. Confidence in the face of trials. The resurrection of Jesus does not mean the absence of trials, but I'm going to give you five things it does mean in the face of whatever trial you're going through, whether it's something in your family, something at your workplace, you name it, health, Here's one promise, because there's a risen Lord, there's a promise that trials do not short-circuit God's will for your life. He's still working, even in the middle of the trial. How do you know that? Look at the darkest day in history, the, the Lord Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. God works all things together for good. That cross of all things led to a resurrection. It led to His ascension next to the Father. It led to salvation. We look at that and say, if God can turn that for good, surely He can turn whatever I'm going through today for good, right? Think about what He said in Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Most of us know that verse, but how many of us know verse 29? Verse 29 is important because it tells us what the primary good is that He's working for in our trials. You know what it is? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the ultimate good God wants to work in your life and mine as we go through trials. He wants to conform us to the image of Jesus. I thought about it like this. In, in our backyard the past month or so, we've been doing some stuff with soda cans. Evan, our 12-year-old, is out with the kids' class right now. We went to the recycling place in Prescott on Navajo and got 100 of these cans. And we put a vegetable can in the fire and, and we heat that vegetable can up until it glows red. And then we take these Empty cans, some, some, somebody threw away, put them in there, and, and they melt down. 
Then we take something called an ingot mold. It's got a shape in there. You pour that melted aluminum in there and out comes something like this. About 30 soda cans conformed to the image of the ingot mold. Old, somebody's old garbage turned into something kind of cool. Now, what if we embrace that idea when we're in the middle of trials? If we were willing to say, God, how is it that you're working to make me more like your son in this? What are you aiming to do in my life? Because I want to be more like Jesus. I love him. Help me be more like Jesus. Let's go on. It's the fact that we have a risen Lord gives us a promise that when we go through trials and we feel weak, we are not left without strength. Let's admit it. When we go through trials, we feel our own weakness, right? Anybody? Our own desperation. I'm at the end of my rope. We feel that, but we're not left without strength. Why? Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, he had a thorn in his flesh. God, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. No. 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 And what did God say to Paul? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, if Jesus had remained in that tomb, there would be no such thing as the power of Christ. But because He's alive, even in the face of your weakness, believer, that's when His power pours in and shines out of your life. The fact that there's a risen Lord is also a promise that when you go through a trial, it does not mean that you've been abandoned. Isn't that the lie of the enemy? As soon as things start going tough, nobody understands what you're going through. You're in this all alone. It's a lie. It's a lie. Think about Paul. You remember when he was arrested in Jerusalem because a riot started? They threw him in prison. And he's there. Guess who showed up with him? Acts 23.11. It says, The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. How that must have encouraged Paul as he sat there in jail. And if you ever read through the last part of the book of Acts, you see that in God's plan, Paul was essentially bulletproof until God's mission for him was done. God wanted him in Rome and nothing would stop that. He's on a, a ship in a stormy sea. Boat's falling apart. God comes, sends an angel and says, I've given you your life and the lives of those with you. Right? He, they land on an island and a poisonous snake bites him. All the islanders say, oh, he must have done something bad. Then he shakes it off into the fire and he lives. And they say, oh, he must be a god. Just like people, right? He didn't die because God said, you will testify about me in Rome. He got to Rome. Could we have that kind of confidence as believers that until God says it's our time, we are safe in the middle of His will. And I'll tell you this, even when that time does come, even when that time comes for death, the believer is safe in the hands of God. Why do I say that? Think about 2 Timothy. If you didn't know it, it's, it's Paul's last letter. 
He's facing imminent execution at the hands of Rome. And he's got a young disciple named Timothy that he wants to send his last words to. Listen to how Paul views his upcoming death. 2 Timothy 4.18 He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He saw even death because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ as a rescue, a deliverance from God. And I think about deliverance from God for the believer. You know where my mind goes? 1 Thessalonians 4. How many of us have the hope of that day when we hear the shout of an archangel and a trumpet and it says the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who remain will rise up and meet them in the air? It's coming. We can argue about the details of when. That's not the main point. It's coming. It's coming. And I think about the trumpet blast and I think about God's Word. It's, it's one unit. Now I was reading in the book of Numbers this week. Numbers 10, about God's people in the wilderness with the tabernacle. Did you know the priests had two silver trumpets? And God was telling Moses when the priests should sound the trumpets. And three instances that jumped out at me was, one, you, you sound the trumpets when it's time for God's people to set out. You sound the trumpets when it's time for God's people to gather in His presence at the front of the tabernacle. And you sound the trumpets at time of war so that God will remember and deliver you from your enemies. Now is that not all that will happen that moment at the rapture? God's people will set out. Those who are dead will be set free from death in their body. Those who are alive will meet them in the air and we will be delivered from our enemies. Ultimately, we can say because we have a risen Lord that our trials need not steal our hope. What did He say in John 16, 33? In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As we close today, I want to tell you one very personal reason, one very personal way. We've seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ at work in our lives, the lives of our family and those at this church who have been pressing into prayer. When you see God answer prayer, it's testament to the fact that there's a risen Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? John 16, 23, He had told His guys in the upper room, in that future day, you'll ask nothing of Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now let me ask you something. Does it do any good to pray in the name of someone who remains in their tomb? It does not. The only reason prayers in Jesus' name and His will are effective is because He is alive and well. And I want to share some examples of where we've seen this in the past few weeks. How many of you were at that awesome picnic last week? That was an amazing time. Our family and the Wednesday night prayer group was praying for that picnic. We were praying that folks in this church would, would press into relationships with each other, get to know each other better, and, and develop lifelong friendships. 
Because church is about so much more than just sitting next to a stranger on Sunday morning. And as we looked around and saw so many groups just hanging out for hour after hour, it filled our hearts with joy. But what you may not know is it went beyond that. When we went out and we were playing kickball, we were probably playing 10 on 10 kickball, and there were two 20-something-year-old girls at the park saw the fun everybody was having. They came over and said, could we play with you guys? And Autumn went over and gave them a high five. We told them, this is the church next door. Yeah, you're welcome to join in. And they, they played kickball with us. During that same kickball game, we, we saw a couple that was probably 80 years old coming. They were watching the game, and the guy had his hands on the fence like this. And the smile on his face, I'm telling you, he looked like a kid on Christmas morning as he, he watched you all having fun together. And Carolyn went over and talked to him, and he said, what's going on here? This is so wonderful to see people gathered like this. And she said, this is a, a, our church picnic. We just gathered here for a picnic. And afterwards, I got to thinking about it. Whether you all knew it or not, you guys were being that city on a hill that Jesus talked about. They, they were getting a taste of God's kingdom as they saw your joy with each other and your love for one another. Romans 14 Paul says God's kingdom is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy. And I think the world is looking for a taste of what, what God's people bring through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He answered that prayer. I think about Lemuel and Amber and their family. Lemuel said I could pass this on because it's, it's so special. And continue in prayer for them. A couple weeks ago... Lemuel called and said he was up in Las Vegas with his mom, was hospitalized and, and non-responsive. And we talked and prayed. Later that night, he texted about 11 o'clock, or the next morning, he said she had passed that night at 11 o'clock. They've been walking through a journey with that. Any of you who have lost a loved one know that journey. And we were praying for them at our house. We were praying for them at our Wednesday night prayer group. Frank said his small group was praying for you guys. So Friday, I called Lemuel and said, hey, buddy, how you doing? He says, well, I got to tell you something. I'm sitting here with my brother. And he said, my mom came to the Lord late in life. And ever since she did, one of her prayers was for every one of her sons to come to know the power and freedom that comes in Jesus and Lemuel said, while well, I've been hanging out with my brother, I've had the chance to talk to him about Jesus. And the other day I prayed with him, he accepted the, the Lord as his Savior. <laughs> God heard those prayers. And even though his family is hurting, even in the pain, the risen Lord was at work to bring his brother to salvation. One more. Many of you remember Pastor Paul and Kitty. They accepted a call to go out to Paulden Bible Church. Friday, Paul called me and he said, you will not believe what happened Thursday morning. He said, there was a guy that's been going to his church with his wife for some time. And the guy said, Paul, this was Thursday morning, he said, I could not sleep well last night. I was very restless. I, I kept feeling like God was talking to me and leading me to, to talk to you. He said, we've been at this church for a long time. We've been pew sitters. We haven't been very active. We're just kind of taking, taking, taking and not serving. 
said, Paul, what would you think if I helped you lead the charge in evangelism, sharing Jesus out in Paulden? <laughs> now, you say, that's, that's cool in and of itself. Let me tell you the rest of the story, why Paul was so excited to share that with me. That was Thursday morning. Wednesday night, there was a group of seven people right here or so. We had asked Paul that morning for five specific prayer requests for Paulden Bible Church. You know what number four was? He asked us to pray that God would help them as they led the people from a posture of uninvolvement and spectating to a posture of using their gifts for God's kingdom and embracing the opportunities around them and Paul did. That was the same night that guy couldn't sleep, the same night the Holy Spirit, the risen Lord said, I want you to lead the charge in evangelism in Paul did. Jesus is alive. It's not just something on this page. We can go out of here and live in victory over sin and in victory and embracing His call to live righteous lives. I think of the Israelites at the edge of the promised land. Ten of the spies saw the obstacles. Anybody could do that. My challenge is for us to be Caleb's and Joshua's. Let's, let's stop looking at only the obstacles. Let's see the big God, the risen Lord, who has told us He can use you and me and us to do His work in this fallen world. Amen? Amen. He is risen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that we have a, a risen Savior, a living hope. We do this every year, and I think for some of us, it becomes old hat, something we just take for granted. Forgive us. Forgive us for that. Lord, you're alive, Jesus. Help us to embrace that in faith and to walk out of here living in that reality. <laughs> every moment. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> yes, God works all things together for good, even talking phones. Lord, <laughs> Lord, thank you that we can laugh together too. Thank you for the joy of this fellowship. And I just feel led to lift up our, our brother and sister and their family right here one more time. Lemuel and Amber, as they continue to, to grieve, that you'd be a source of special strength to them. I also thank you that after talking to Lemuel, I know they grieve with hope that one day they'll see his mom again. We thank you for the hope a risen Savior brings, and I pray that you'd help us as a church, as a people, as individuals, to take that hope to the world around us, to, to spread the message of, of what you say in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will. Be saved. Lord, thank you for that. Draw in the lost. Encourage the saints. Help us. Even as we take our offering today, may it be not some external act under compulsion, but an act of gratitude for all you've done for us. Jesus, you're our crucified and risen King. Lord of lords. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.